0: This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family. Written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks.
1: The COVID 19 vaccine might be the tech of the year. But what is it about some new technologies that fuels fear? And where is faith? And are Adam and I going to get the vaccine? Welcome to a new year. It's Device and Virtue.
0: Hey, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. We're coming to you from Chicago. I'm
1: Adam. And I'm Chris. Adam, today we are talking about mRNA. <laughs> Excuse me? mRNA vaccines. Oh, hot right. Topic, the hot topic of the Christmas season.
0: <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> we hope. We hope. Because right now it's COVID that keeps on giving. And we want oh it to gosh. stop giving.
1: You know what? I don't know how Christmas and New Year's has been for you, Mike. The Christmas tree lights are beautiful. It's also really beautiful to see people getting vaccines on my Instagram feed. I have a friend that's an emergency room doctor, yeah, and he was one of the first people online for this vaccine. So huh. he had you know the, the, the video posted on his feed, and like probably hundreds of people hit like. He's been working in the emergency room on the west side of Chicago with COVID patients since wow. it started. I mean, that's exciting. That feels like Christmas. It feels like a little bit of hope.
0: Yeah, you know, when the pandemic started and we we were imagining when could a vaccine happen, you know, the earliest people were saying was like a year out. And so it feels like a miracle to me that in six or seven months, uh, a vaccine a has been discovered. <laughs> and, and not only that, but like a vaccine that is reported to have like Above 90%, 90 to 95% effectiveness, which is just astronomically good and higher so than I good. think anyone expected, right?
1: And and I, th- I am excited that it's a completely new technology as well that we get to talk <laughs> about this mRNA thing, which has yeah. never been used for this kind of thing. But before we get into that, which this is the whole reason I wanted to bring it up today, I think it would be a true Christmas miracle if you got me something for Christmas. Did you?
0: You're right. That would be a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you're saying yes, you guys. <laughs> yes. Miracles can happen, man. Miracles oh, can I know. Happen. It's a
1: surprise. It's going to be such a great surprise. <laughs> I mean, did you get me anything for Christmas? would also be a miracle. Yep. Yep, exactly. <laughs> your presence is a gift, Chris. I got you this conversation, Adam. Your
0: your virtual presence right now... <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, I, I I will say we've been off the air for like a, a month because off the air. What am I like? You to uh, because we were busy bit. because we were teaching the seminary course for Northern Seminary on technology and theology. Yes, and that was taking up our time. And it was it uh, took up a was lot a of time, of but it was
0: a lot of fun. Yeah, we had quite a few students that decided to jump in on the course, and we had like incredibly good conversation. We had pastors, and we had technologists, and we got them in mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. same Zoom room together. And <laughs> it was gloves off. Like, no, it really wasn't. There wow, wasn't wow, a wow. lot of fighting. There was, But <laughs> the, there was a lot of great conversation. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> about how to do the communion online and whether that's a thing, about whether churches can really be the real church on Facebook, about the history of technology and the way Christians have seen technology over the years uh, about the academic approaches to technology so we got really we got nerdier than we even get to get here oh man um, which was fun for me I'm going to be honest Adam I, I I like the nerd parts
0: honestly it was like having our podcast but getting a bunch of people to like talk with us and argue with us uh, so we didn't have to just argue with each other about it <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so nice to be back though
0: <laughs> it is christmas just isn't christmas if we're not you know arguing about
1: technology So let's talk, Adam, about the technology of the year, the mRNA spike proteins, and how it might change the world.
0: Chris, you said this mRNA vaccine is like brand new, and it's never been done before. And yet there's kind of a long history here leading up to this innovative vaccine. What's
1: the story there? Wait, exactly. I feel like mRNA is something I might have learned about in science class. I don't <laughs> right. know if you learned about it. Yeah, uh, like, DNA, like in it's high. like little brother is RNA or something. I don't Messenger know. RNA, I know, and I feel like there's a little diagram of twisty things, you know, and cells, and you had to label parts. <laughs> Did you have to do that with the, the colored pencils? You know.
0: had better science education <laughs> than I had, I
1: think. You know, I've been reading tons about this since it came out, like a lot of people have. And uh, messenger RNA is something they discovered in the 60s and they were doing research in the 90s but this is the first time ever that it's been useful enough where it's going to actually help us cure something, cure the COVID-19. I guess a vaccine is a better way to say it, not a cure, right? But first of all, there's been all these vaccines that have been being tested, right? Right. The entire year since all this stuff started back at the beginning of 2020. And the two vaccines that have gotten approval from the FDA, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, have been this one by Pfizer and BioNTech and this other one done by a company, Moderna. And Moderna is like the tech startup Mm -hmm. and Pfizer is sort of like IBM or the Microsoft, (laughs) like the big company. But either way, they both use the technology of messenger RNA to create a vaccine, which to this point was completely a theory, had not been done for real. That's crazy. So- some of the most interesting part of the story to me was that this started back with a woman named Caitlin Carrico. Okay. At the University of Pennsylvania. This is like the 90s. Like, I am just trying <laughs> to understand alternative music in high school. I was in the Q101.
0: You're she- taking the <laughs> DNA class <laughs> with your colored pencils.
1: <laughs> And this this woman, Caitlin Carrico, was a professor. She was like really excited about this mRNA thing because she thought it could actually cure things, maybe like cancer or future diseases. But her research wasn't yielding a lot. And the University of Pennsylvania said, this isn't going anywhere. Either you quit researching this stuff or we're going to like demote you. And she's like, I'm still interested in it. And so they demoted her. She stuck around at this
0: university, kind of dejected and cast aside, right?
1: Yeah, no one really believed in her research. And now everyone is calling her to do interviews with her. <laughs> she said my salary was lower at that point than the technician that worked for me. Wow. <laughs> I just did not, was not interested in her working on this. But in 2005, they figured out how to modify RNA so that it didn't, they knew they could, they sort of, rna into our system and make it do immune response in our bodies but right. every time they did it when they tested it on animals it, um, the animals freaked out like it caused bad palms in animals and so they're like we can't put this in humans there's no way but they figured out how to change it so it'd copy the virus and it would not trigger the bad stuff. And they figured this out in the 2000s. That led to this Chinese team about four years ago that figured out that you could use this on coronaviruses. Now, this is not the coronavirus we know. This is like MERS and SARS, those two viruses that right. we heard about from a long time ago. They were testing it. I guess coronaviruses, did you know this? They're called coronavirus because they have a circle, like a corona of spike proteins. You, you're uh, holding uh,
0: up your fingers <laughs> in a circle so everyone can like, see what
1: <laughs> what I thought about it was like I was playing with my nieces and nephews the other day, and we were throwing an arrobi. Do you remember <laughs> Like from I the love 1990s? Aerobis. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I totally like they had were frisbees,
1: one. but they were just the circle. But yeah, they yeah, went of really far. They went super far. They were amazing. And apparently that's why coronaviruses went really far too, because they have spike proteins around the edge of the circle. And those spike proteins are the things that drill into our bodies. And a team in China figured out they could use mRNA to create these spike proteins. It triggers our body then to solve the problem. They figured out that the spike proteins were too floppy, but that you could add biochemical scaffolding into the protein. <laughs> I don't know. I'm saying things that I've read, <laughs> but into the protein to make it like sort of strong and stand up. And that actually was the key to a vaccine. So then this year we had sort of some of the underlying technology in science. Right. When you and I in January were recording whatever we were recording for <laughs> Device and Virtue, we had no idea any of this was coming, right?
0: We're, we're recording all these other things. We're talking about <laughs> social media and democracy at that point. And That's clearly true. that Which, wasn't that, a big deal. <laughs> but but yeah, exactly. so then, then COVID comes along.
1: Back in January, a guy in the Nassau Institute of Health, a scientist, got a phone call while he was out skiing. And they said, hey, there's this new virus that sort of appeared. And we're seeing some of it in Wuhan, China. It looks like pneumonia or something, but it's a coronavirus. Do you guys want to test out trying this new mRNA thing? And he's like, yeah. And so he tells this story. He called his back at the university, his research assistant, said, hey, get ready. I think the Chinese are gonna post this DNA sequence, because you and I definitely understand what that is, (laughs) but they're gonna somehow they post that online so all the scientists can see it, right? right? And so the guy's like, yeah, okay, I'll watch for it. So it comes up in like two days, and he downloads it, and he goes, oh, yeah, this is a coronavirus. Two, it's really simple. Three, I can design a vaccine for it using what we know about spike proteins and of some." <laughs> <laughs> they design it on a computer and they do it in like, <laughs> Wired said about an hour. He said to This American Life, he's like, honestly, we had it in about 10 minutes.
0: Right. And I read elsewhere they just passed the information to each other in like, a microsoft word document
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's right
0: (laughs) right they're just like hey we're just gonna send you a
1: file here you go it's fascinating (laughs) and so they they designed it on computer get that data from the document change the proteins in this thing however they do that and send it out for testing and what they've done all year now they designed this vaccine in in a day and everything between now and then has been testing since since like march
0: basically right
1: since, since February. So the timeline is like in February, they were testing on mice. Mm. And then on March 16th. Which
0: is about the time the U.S. went into
1: deep lockdown. March 16th, both Pfizer and Moderna started trials on real people. 48,000 people got tested. Maybe 44,000. 44, 44 48,000 people got tested with Pfizer. And Moderna tested 30,000 people. And when it was all said and done, about 100,000 folks have gotten tested on this mRNA technology vaccine. Crazy, yeah, isn't it?
0: That's incredible. And it's incredible to me that this is, you know, kind of its debut as a vaccine, right? It's doing what a vaccine, what traditional vaccines have done, but it's doing it in a new way. And Wait, this is nothing like the old technology of vaccines, right?
1: Yeah, well... Or like it's not made in the same way.
0: It's not, yeah, it's, it's definitely not made in the same way, but it, it, it's achieving the same end goal where it is fooling your body into thinking that it's being invaded by a virus, right? If Paul Revere dressed up as a, a British soldier, you know, and... <laughs> And rode around saying, we're invading, we're invading, we're invading. All the minute men in the militia would like, you know, come to arms and they'd all be like, all right, we got to go out and fight. And yet it's actually just Paul Revere, right? He's not going to do anything, but he's, he's inciting them to pull together and do the work. And it's the same, it's the same idea with vaccines where they're, they're going into your body and they're saying the virus is coming. The virus is coming and it's not actually coming but something alerts everyone to be on high alert right. and to defend right. against it so that, and then what's amazing <laughs> is that your body develops this immune response and then it stores mm-hmm. it. Like mm-hmm. you don't do anything. It just like is like, okay, we, we've seen this before. We saw this, you know, years ago or whatever. I'm gonna store that information and then if I see this happen again, I'll have everything I need to fight it off. That just boggles my mind that our bodies can do that. Just, it's like,
1: it's like our body. It's like our bodies have cloud storage and great <laughs> database space. Yeah, and <laughs> and, and
0: I, like, I like using technology metaphors for our bodies. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how that works.
1: And you know, the old way they used to do this, of course, was taking part of the virus, try to either make it really weak called an attenuated right. virus that we can or like deactivate it somehow but they would shoot the deactivated or weak virus into you right. and that would cause yeah. the Paul Revere reaction right right, um, right, right, the cool thing about this new technology the mRNA one is it's not even actually a virus it's like synthetically generated they design it right. on a computer now it's a biological thing they grow but but it doesn't even have the virus in it. It couldn't make you sick if it tried because the virus isn't there. But it's almost like back to the aerobie thing, the, all the spike <laughs> proteins around the aerobi in like the middle of the Frisbee <laughs> is the actual virus and it's missing. It's yeah. just gone. It's like we're oh, injecting people with aerobies without the actual virus in there. So it just can't make you sick, yeah. but it can act like Paul Revere to tell your body how to learn how to do it. So basically, Paul Revere's
0: throwing aerobies around is what I'm hearing.
1: We have combined somehow the 1700s and the (laughs) 1990s into the the perfect explanation. It's a Christmas miracle. (laughs) (laughs) So honestly, Adam, I think this is going to be possibly the technology of the year, maybe of the decade. And you're nodding, so I think you agree, which is why it's so hard also to see that there's a lot of distrust or fear of the vaccine we're seeing out there. And so I want to talk about why certain technologies spark fear. Okay, Adam, here's what I wanted to bring up. When new technologies sort of sweep across a society... One of the things that happens is a distrust or a fear reaction, at least from some people sometimes. Yeah. Right? We're seeing this with a vaccine. Some we're seeing some people go, I don't know about that. That looks pretty crazy. Or it's really fast. Or, I've not heard of this MRNA thing. Yeah. Did they really test this? Is it safe? And there are lots of reasons why, and we can break it down. But I was just thinking bigger picture. like. Some technologies people do react to with that way and some technologies people don't react to with that way Why do technologies lead to distrust or fear reactions sometimes and like can you think of ones that have and that you haven't?
0: Well, the first one that comes to mind is You know, there's this term Luddites, right? People who are like really anti-technology and that comes from the early 1800s in England where people who were ostensibly following this kind of made up figure called Ned Ludd and yes yes but yes. but there there were weaving looms taking over the weaving industry and there were harvesting machines automating some of the harvesting in in the agricultural industry and people were smashing these looms burning these machines and they saw their livelihoods being threatened. And so they had this, you know, very strong reaction and they they were, they were Luddites. They were opposed <laughs> right, to, right. and you know, that has been picked up for anyone who's opposed to technology in any way. You know, they get labeled a Luddite and kind of get blown off for that reason alone. And it feels like an insult for that. Yeah, it's an insult. Like you're, you're backward. You're, you're not forward thinking, you're right. not innovative, you know, but I mean, people have been afraid of television for a long time. We, we, we were really excited about social media. And now everybody's scared of it. So yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's right. Then you think about something like the shovel, right? <laughs> yeah. Was there ever a time where people were like, shovels are going to take our jobs. Burn all the shovels. Let's, you know, we shouldn't be using these. They're, they're hurting our society. Maybe. Maybe that was in
1: prehistory. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's a fascinating experiment a mental experiment to think about which technologies has have societies just sort of let wash over them without like a whole lot of second thoughts. I mean, even the Internet, I feel like AOL and email and stuff, we were all just sort of <laughs> excited about. You do get thinkers in every society that sort of think about it and go, is this good? But is it fair for me to contrast like the masses versus like <laughs> the, thinkers, the you know, I mean I mean you know I've taught uh, it's like we we're teaching on the history of technology recently and I sometimes talk about pastors that have preached on the evils of like the paperback book for instance paperback books were seen by some pastors as potentially bringing mm-hmm. deceits to society I mean even your Socrates
0: example of writing Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's the old example, of course, of Socrates talking about the Egyptian gods saying, "If we learn the technology of writing, we're all going to become really forgetful, because we won't just use our memory. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'll mess
0: with us." So the question kind of is, what about a technology brings up fear versus another that just brings up enthusiasm and general adoption?
1: I mean, I have theories, barely though. I mean, let's just talk this out. <laughs> One thing is like medical technologies do feel different than like an entertainment technology for Mm -hmm. instance like an ipad it doesn't feel like it can hurt me maybe you and i like to talk about the invisible effects of technology you know like how screens or other things could like have a slow effect that we don't notice. Mm-hmm. Whereas it feels like if i been getting a shot, like, let's just be honest, don't like needles. I don't want to go to needles. <laughs> I had to get blood tests the other day. like, I had to get my cholesterol tested last month and I hadn't done that in like eight years and I had to go wait in line. I'm waiting in line for 30 minutes to get someone to stick a needle on me. I'm thinking, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be terrible. I finally get to the front of the line and two women walk out and say, Mr. Ridgway in here and I'm like, okay, there's two nurses I'm not, I'm not sure why that is. They're going to have to, to hold room. you down. <laughs> Seriously. And I was getting ready to tell them, like, hey, I get sort of nervous around needles. And, and one of the women steps forward, but I could tell she was, like, more college student age. Hi, uh, Mr. Ridway, So I'm an intern, and I'm wondering if you'll let me take your blood today. <laughs> And I just, my eyes got really wide, and I was like, No. <laughs> Really? Sorry. You said that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, dude, I get sort of scared of the needles. So immediately the more experienced woman oh, stepped man. in front and she's- I'm a, loving what, this.
0: What, Confessions uh, of Chris. Pro-
1: professional phlebotomist. And she was like, no problem. And she was amazing and such a pro and drew my blood before I even knew it was happening. And I was relieved. And obviously it's <laughs> a little bit irrational, but I wonder, are people scared of, maybe there's some people that are just like me and just like, I don't like them. The medical things feel super weirder and different than other technologies. Hmm. I mean, I wonder if part
0: of the fear has to do with a sense of sweeping societal changes Hmm. as opposed to just personal ones. I mean, the vaccine or the television or the weaving loom or even like autonomous robots, like that they're going to have this sweeping effect across our society that we can't control. It's beyond our control
1: this large system that we're high. I think you and I think about these sweeping technologies that have invisible effects, but I'm wondering after it's at the opposite. People get frightened if they see a personal effect only like the needle, the virus could make me sick. Or, you know, I don't know what that, mm-hmm. what's in that right. vaccine. So, right. they, like, right. what, it, what will it do to me? Some people just might think it makes it sick. On the more conspiracy theory side, people might think like, I heard read online there was a government tracker in that. I think that's clearly, you <laughs> true. untrue. But either way, they're noticing a personal violation or fear, or like Alexa in a home. Think yeah. about that. We've yeah. talked about yeah. this before. Having like Alexa's a, microphones track people. and that's one where people have a very mixed reaction. But there's plenty of people that get a little bit of fearful of it right and while you and i can talk about that as a sweeping change like what does it mean that we all have voice control across our society i think most people if they're having a negative reaction are just worried about it's affecting them like what if someone is listening to me
0: i I would say it's actually the combination of the two it's a societal systemic change that i am subject to that i am impacted by and i don't have the control over the medical system that developed and tested this vaccine i don't have control over the supply chain that delivered it but yet it impacts Hmm. me personally or with alexa there's this fear that it's listening in and there's a whole host of programmers and computers and algorithms behind Alexa that are, you know, it borders on that sort of fear of government, fear of conspiracy, this grand conspiracy that's out to yeah, yeah. Hurt and yeah. impact me that I can't do anything but adopt. I can't do anything but opt in. Except there's
1: so many exceptions. I'm thinking of the way you're describing it, I'm thinking about it as, like as the black box theory. Like if I don't understand what's sure. going on inside of that, yep. I feel more concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's a mystery to me what's going on in there. So the vaccine might be a black box to people. Are like I do not know what's happening in there. I don't want that to come too close. On the other hand, I think of like, I don't know, the PlayStation 5 is just coming out and that's uh-huh. a black box to me. I have no idea how that magically makes amazing graphics and like shoot 'em up games. However, like <laughs> no one seems to care about that. They're like get that in my house as fast as I can pre-order <laughs> that guy and I'm going to put that on the TV and play. Right. So my black box theory I think is like false. Like it does it's not actually the reason. But People a- seem fine with the black box if it entertains them. <laughs> right. So let me ask you this. Let's just get straight to the point right here. Are you going to take the vaccine? <laughs>
0: Honestly, like I do have a little trepidation. I'll be honest about that. A a, a little hesitation. You know, it is like, wow, that happened really fast. All this testing, I I totally trust that it's been tested to the degree that the FDA would approve it and is considered safe. It's up to snuff and standards of, you know, every other sort of requirement that the FDA puts on things before they come out publicly But I I do think like, are there consequences Mm -hmm. that could come out two years from now or five years from now? And I'm not saying I want to wait two or five years, but I, it's a question for me, like short-term benefit, which is what technology is all about. We can see the short-term benefit immediately and we adopt it, but we always know there are long-term consequences with most technologies. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm just a little hesitant. Will I probably get it? Probably. Will I be the first to get it? Probably not. But I'm not naturally an early adopter anyways, so that probably just kind of fits my personality.
1: <laughs> no, you're not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Absolutely. where are you at? Yes, like, the first. You're going to be in, in the front of the line. If you're a college-age phlebotomist and you want to poke <laughs> me with a needle, that's fine. Go I will it. take it for this, for this yeah, mRNA
1: yeah. vaccine. I am a little bit afraid of the needles, but I am not afraid in the slightest of the mRNA vaccine. I think it's an amazing technological innovation, and I think it's super well tested. You know, it's really not one year of testing. It's really from the 90s and the 70s and the 60s. There's been 60 years of research into this thing and layers and layers and layers with not just one or two, but hundreds of scientists in different roles in this. And like every new technology, there's layers. Yes, we just broke through and got this COVID-19 specific mRNA vaccine, right. and it'll be a breakthrough on that thing. But just like when the iPhone came out, and we were like, ooh, an iPhone, it's a pretty new phone. but. We had cell technology, we had screens, we had operating systems. This is just the next, there was the next step in the in the process and you needed someone smart. It's an amazing story that Steve Jobs does that, but it's an amazing story what the scientists have done this year on it. But they were using this technology that we've known and used a ton up till now. And so mm-hmm. that makes me confident. That's how technology works. And then we did actual testing on the very specific thing, you know, with a hundred thousand people, multiple companies, independent boards of scientists. Yep. So I'm really convinced on that. Yeah, I'll go first. Of course, when I get on mine. I'm not a high at-risk person. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm really right. excited that my friend that's an emergency room doctor, the nurses that I know, and elderly or people who are at high risk are getting it first. That's exactly the right thing. Yeah, you know? so, so
0: what would you say to an elderly person who's listening to this episode?
1: You know, the polio vaccine in the 50s, actually, people were a little bit afraid because it gave some people polio when they gave the vaccine. Not a lot, but there was a thing where they gave a vaccine and it actually gave them the disease. And it was a mistake and they figured out why, Mm -hmm. because they were using an attenuated vaccine that wasn't weak enough and it actually gave some people the disease. And of course, freaked everyone out about vaccines. And I think older people, like I was talking to my parents and they remember some of that. I mean, they were kids. Mm -hmm. But this mRNA vaccine literally can't do that. It it can't give anyone the virus because it's not that. And so even from the technological point of view, I think it's it's completely safe, you know? The only thing it might not do is not work as well as we thought it did in the long term, but I think mm-hmm. it looks like it's going to. So I'm excited. Okay, wait, I wanna go back to something you just said earlier about you would, you're you a little hesitant, but you'd probably <laughs> take the vaccine. Yep. And I, I think that means you would, and I understand the hesitance. I think some people, are, people will probably relate to that. I want you to say, Yes, probably (laughs) I'm hesitant, but yes, I absolutely will. And one of the reasons is not just because I care about you, but also because I think that taking the vaccine ethically, even from a position as a Christian, is not just an individual decision, but it's a communal decision. Because taking a vaccine not only protects myself, but it means that I can't spread that virus to others. And while I personally have never been high risk for like, you know, me getting very sick or even dying. What we all have been worried about is me spreading that virus to someone that could. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so me taking the vaccine protects people, vulnerable people. Don't yeah. Do you think this is a communal decision?
0: Okay. So I, I hear your point. I do want to say from the research I read, they don't know whether people who have been vaccinated could still be carriers. But to your point, to your larger question about caring for community. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but being not just a personal decision, it's a a decision that affects others. You know, we talked about this last spring when we were talking about, you know, choosing to quarantine, you know, protecting our parents or other vulnerable people. I think it's a hugely valid point that we need to consider not just am I comfortable with it, but how is my decision affecting other people? I appreciate that pushback.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think it's Christians, it's how are we also loving our neighbor in these medical decisions.
2: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Okay, Chris, you pushed me on this biblical idea of Christian love for our neighbor. But on the other hand, there are Christians out there who would look at, depending on a vaccine for healing and health care, as a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God's healing providence <laughs> yeah, right. and in yeah, God's, yeah, yeah. God's ability to to heal us and heal our bodies. Maybe a vaccine is evidence of our lack of faith. What would you say to that?
1: <laughs> I mean, it sort of makes me think of Christian scientists, the, the group that believes- Like that the denomination? Mary, well, yeah, almost whatever the they sex. Are. Founded by Mary Baker, Eddie- um, you know, the right, famous right. thing about Christian scientists, people talk about them. They seem to be sort of not entirely Christian, nor entirely scientists. <laughs> not scientists who
0: are Christians, though. We're <laughs> right. not
1: saying that. <laughs> exactly. It's just a very specific group. But one of the things they're famous for is believing that sort of going to the doctor was something that you didn't do that. that mm-hmm. God was heals us. God is the one that heals in the Bible mm-hmm. um, and it's a lack of faith to go sort of go to modern medical practice. These days, you know, when the, oh, a Christian scientist doesn't take a kid to the doctor when they're sick, that's seen as, you know, maybe abuse. It's not good. Right. And I think you and I both would agree with that. We go, no, doctors should be part of it. At the same time, I think it's a really important thought experiment for us to think about like, wait, do we just accept all medical technology? Like where's the trust in God in this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and do the technology sort of almost become our God I know like you know when someone at church brings up hey can we pray for so and so she's in the hospital I mean I've prayed for tons of people but don't a lot of us sort of think like oh well hope the hospital's good or hope they have a good doctor or hope that surgery goes well and it's mostly up to that right
0: Yeah we we end up praying for the <laughs> we pr- end up praying for the wisdom of the doctors and the nurses and the surgeons
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah right good evangelicals do that middle line like we pray for the wisdom of the doctor if you're good charismatic you just pray for healing and yeah, go for yeah, it you know yeah. i often pray for healing just directly like god would mm-hmm. you heal them but i don't always believe that will happen in part because rationally i think well that is a supernatural thing and god works through natural things a lot you know mm-hmm. in fact as C.S. Lewis pointed out, it wouldn't be supernatural if there wasn't a natural. We wouldn't notice the supernatural was different <laughs> than everything else if we didn't have an everything else to begin with. And, and so there is a natural way it works, but I, this is hard, right? Do we accept the technology of healing or are we distrusting God in it? Yeah. It asks this question
0: about what is the role of the technologist, of the medical doctor in the work of God? does God Mm -hmm. work through people or does he go around people? Like we think that miracles only happen when God, when God uses a donkey or when God goes around, he kind of circumvents people to get his work done. But when God works through a doctor, when God works through a technologist, when God works through this woman like Catalan Carrico, who, you know, works on MRNA for 40 years before seeing the fruit of her labor. Maybe it's Christmas, but I I felt like here's a woman who (laughs) is a bit like Mary and she suffers and she struggles for decades of her career. She's disregarded for what she's doing. She's demoted in what Mm -hmm. she's doing. And yet she perseveres. And in Mm -hmm. that, she brings healing to the world in the work that she's doing. Mm -hmm. And she bears the disgrace that is is kind of put upon her by these higher ups these higher powers and and she says no i'm going to keep going because i believe in this and i don't know if she has faith in god but god is willing to use her and bring good out of a woman who's persevering and bringing healing to the world is that just natural science that's making that happen isn't there the image of god at work in her isn't there like something miraculous
1: happening there That's amazing. I didn't think about comparing her to Mary. She does have an epic story, which I encourage people to read because not only did she get demoted, but she was facing medical operations. Her husband um, had gone back to Hungary and then got stranded because the US didn't let him back in because of a visa. And yeah, you know, she just talks about all these things And that she has cancer she doing this research. Yeah, and she had cancer I mean, herself. And it's just, it's just incredible.
0: The story was really surprising and shocking to me. And again, maybe it's just because it's Christmas and I've been thinking about Mary and the Magnificat, <laughs> but God lifts up the lowly. He fills the hungry with good yeah. things.
1: I think that's amazing. I was about to say that you're like totally off track of the topic of, you know, can we believe in science and technology to heal us? Or is that going against believing in God to heal us? Mm -hmm. But what I'm realizing is actually you're sort of on topic. Because (laughs) because what you're doing is in her story, you're humanizing a little bit of technology and the creation of technology. Mm -hmm. And like her story is, I mean, she's a researcher and she's using her mind and her knowledge to research the science and do these things in a lab. But the technology is coming from her, not only her brain and her PhD and her smarts, but also like her life experience and the things she's going through. And when we get to new technologies, like a doctor, even that we go and see at a hospital, they are using, it's not some sort of foreign otherness. It is not just a thing over here. It is like a human implementation of the brain and heart God gave us. You know, if we're going to create a spectrum, one side is, the Christian scientist or maybe just the Christian that says, we've got to trust God to heal us. They're going against the scientific materialism, right? This sort of worldview that says, science is all there is. Bodies are all there is. That's all we have. You know, that kind of stuff. And and they're saying, no, wait, there's a bigger reality than that. There's a spiritual reality, the the God who made us. And they're saying, we have to trust that God. That's bigger and more real. Right. The other side, you know, is going, wait, we got to trust science. Um, Science is how we learn things. But the fatal flaw there, of course, is maybe God just, disappears from the picture and yeah. you don't see, you know, you see only the trees and not the forest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the whole Christian mentality of sort of faith healing is, I think it comes from the gospels when Jesus says your faith has healed you. And he says it mm-hmm. multiple times. He says it to Bartimaeus mm-hmm. who's blind. Mm-hmm. He says it to the, the woman who's bleeding. Your faith mm-hmm. has healed you. He also says it to the 10 men with leprosy and This story is the one that kind of Mm. came to mind when I was thinking about this question. And thinking about, you know, Jesus heals 10 men with leprosy. They all go away rejoicing and one comes back. And he says, thank you. He's a Samaritan, he's the outsider, right? And Jesus says, didn't I heal a bunch of you? But only you came back. And then he says, your faith has healed you. I find that really fascinating and I find it really instructive. As I was thinking about in the context of this vaccine and in the context of medical technology and technologies that help people in general, I was thinking when we experience God's healing but we fail to connect it to God, we're like the nine other men with leprosy. We experience healing and we experience it through medical technology. We experience it through whatever technology supports our life. And yet we don't see Mm. God behind it. We don't see the God who heals. And yet here's the one guy who comes back and he says, thank you. And he says, I see through the person who healed me. I see God behind me behind that person. I see God behind the technology. I see through the vaccine and I see the woman who made the vaccine and I see the God who made the woman and I see that chain of events and I can be grateful. And yes, it's not just mRNA that healed me. It's my faith that also heals me because I I believe in God who heals and who makes it possible.
1: so adam one other important thing i wanted to bring up was how black americans are responding differently and especially black christians to the news of a vaccine Hmm. i've been thinking about this but one i noticed it two weeks ago when my friend who's a pastor on the west side of the city of a predominantly black church posted on facebook and said just something simple i think he's like y'all gonna get the vaccine Mm-hmm. And like, there's like seventy comments on his post. Okay, like, have, like a lot of members of his community and members of his church, right? And most of the answers were like, "heck no," huh? And I'm like, "whoa," I knew f- folks were worried about this, but I did not realize probably 60 to 70% of the comments on this Facebook thread were like, Nope. And the reason often given was I don't trust the government. Not that I don't trust doctors or something else like an anti-vaxxer thing. I just don't, I'm worried about the government just made this thing and the government's role in it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm going, if this is affecting a lot of my brothers and sisters, I need to understand this. And I know a little bit of the history. I can't Uh say I'm an expert, but do you know the Tuskegee experiments?
0: Yeah, I've heard of
1: it. So it's like this this sort of famous experiment that I think most black Americans know is like back in the 30s and the 40s. It was a bunch of black men that were mostly sharecroppers that had gotten syphilis or were exposed to syphilis. And syphilis was this disease at the time in the 30s that, like, we didn't have a known treatment for. And so 600 African-American men down in Alabama were invited to enroll in this medical care thing where doctors would give you free health care and give you exams and would study sort of the spread of syphilis. And this study was going to be take six months, and it went on, it turns out, for like 30 or 40 years. But it became infamous to the point where the federal government and President Clinton, all apologize for this This as a very racist thing that happened in America. And the main thing was that doctors were treating these men, telling them that they are giving them medical care, but instead they were not. They were giving them fake things, like a minute they were giving them a shot, but it was a placebo, it was like a mineral supplement or um, aspirin or something. Even though we had penicillin at that point and we knew that that was what cured this, they decided intentionally not to give these black men the cure (laughs) that we had. That other people are getting.
0: You're saying this started in the 30s and it went into the 60s or 70s?
1: Yeah, it seems like it. it, And you can read about the whole story online. But eventually, in the 60s, you know, sort of an investigator notices that this is finishing up and sort of complains that this looks really unethical. You can't do this. And they decide anyway to continue it. And eventually, we find out that many of these men got infected. Many of them passed the disease to their wives or spouses and even to kids because they were never properly treated. And it's something we would never do today, right? Um, And this created a story in the black community that you do not trust the government with medical stuff because they could be lying to you. right? And... I, (laughs) that makes complete sense to me. If I, I grew up in a house where you just sort of always automatically trusted the doctor and the government didn't seem like a big deal not to trust that. Whereas if I grew up in a house where we had a significant story, and I'm sure there are others, of we don't trust the government for medical care, I can see why someone a black christian now today looks at the government and go i don't know that vaccine the same stuff that you were a little bit hesitant about but like on yeah. steroids because this is a, yeah. this is a power and a government issue
0: yeah I, I, well i didn't realize that it was kind of tied specifically to this story and and i'm sure there's more other but this other, is one of the other, big other ones yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the big ones yeah if you're a black christian who's worried about this it makes sense that you're going to ask the question, who can I trust? You're going to ask yeah. the question, can I trust the government or should I trust my own instincts on this? Or, or or should I trust the community that I'm part of and the general wisdom that my
1: community has of people I know? In the and, church, usually. <laughs> right. The federal government has started to realize in a lot of states that this is going to be a real problem for black communities and cities because a lot, of people, a lot less people want to take the vaccine. And I know Dr. Fauci, you know the, the one guy everyone's seen, is heading up <laughs> yeah. the coronavirus response you know, he pointed out someone we haven't talked about yet, but one of the lead researchers at National Institutes of Health is a black woman named Kizmeta, Kizzy Corbett. And she got, she made a bunch of news last week. And she's, you know, one of the fellows at the Vaccine Research Center. And she's a black woman and she helped develop the current vaccine. And so I know that the government's response is going, okay, we need folks to see this woman who's a leading scientist on this. And she's starting to speak out about her role in it. This American Life had an awesome interview with her where She said, I like cried and called my family when I realized like part of my research was working. You know, it's like really cool. But I mentioned her to some of the friends on that Facebook thread through that black church I know on the west side. And they said, yeah, that helps. But it also feels a little bit like. Sort of tokenism, or putting the black person forward to try to get to trust the government, and that's still like really hard, (laughs) you know. And and so I think that's that's really fair. How can I, as a Christian brother to my friends here in Chicago, how do I become an advocate for justice in this issue? How do I recognize that there has been injustice done with the government? controlling technology in ways that's harmed my brothers and sisters and how do I acknowledge those fears and then how do I also advocate for whatever else needs to be done uh, to gain trust You know, around that maybe the church has a role to play that the government can't mm-hmm.
0: yeah one of the things I was encouraged by was that both Pfizer and Moderna who were doing research this summer they they were you know working closely with the government to get these approved and to do the research in the right way. And the government came back and said, hey, you don't have enough minority volunteers. You have 30,000 people in your testing and you need to increase how many minorities are being represented in in those tests.
1: For people of color in the Moderna trial specifically, they said you don't have enough and you need to adjust this, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so they increased, they went from 30,000 to 44,000 in order to account for people of color and minorities in the u.s and i was just really encouraged to hear that you know the government is thinking about not just how does how does this affect white people how does it affect the majority of americans we need it to we need to know how it's going to affect all americans and and ultimately people globally
1: exactly so i don't have a conclusion on that except to say that it's an important piece of us uh, as the whole church thinking about how to face this technology. So uh, that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to bring it up. And so we can pray over that. Yeah, again. thank you. Okay, Adam, it's that time again. <laughs> it's time for Vice or Virtue Microsoft Word documents. <laughs> Here's what I'm talking about. Dr. Graham said that after China, I'm reading you this article now, released the genetic sequence of the new virus. The Vaccine Research Center zeroed in on the virus spike protein and sent the data to Moderna in a Microsoft Word file. I'm just so glad to know
0: things are so high tech at these biotech companies. It wasn't even Google Docs. It course, wasn't dude. even Google Docs. I was thinking the same thing. Google's so mad right now that Microsoft got the edge on this one.
1: <laughs> What's really funny oh, is actually is Microsoft got a huge hack this oh, week so I don't many know if hacks. You saw news about maybe the largest hack of all time just happened this week of the federal government the treasury <laughs> department the department of defense it was all through Microsoft Word <laughs> So,
0: really, was it? I thought
1: it was like, yeah, yeah, well, Microsoft cloud services. So not really. Oh, but, okay.
0: Okay. Um, All right. But I mean, it was probably handled through word documents too.
1: Yeah. So. Who knows exactly?
0: Oh man. I mean, so Microsoft word documents, they can convey life-saving information for the globe or they can create hacks that might be the biggest in history. I mean, Microsoft <laughs> word documents, they are either weapons or they're tools. Which way is it going to go? But like without Microsoft Word documents, the world would be, it'd be, it'd be a much darker place. Wouldn't it? I mean, I absolutely, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I have to say it's nah, I can't even say that. I don't even use them anymore. It's a, it's a vice. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even go that far.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, I you definitely gonna. Um, yep,
0: I thought I was too, but I just <laughs> n- nothing in my heart said yes.
1: <laughs> That's what you do. You ask your heart. Hey. My my view of the whole thing is not only they're terrible on a fundamental level of emailing them back and forth to everyone. Oh, um, no so kidding. there's 50 copies of whatever the heck we're dealing with. You're but not wrong. Microsoft Word made the worst three button introduction of all time and that's the bold italics and underline buttons at the top of the page which everyone instantly thought should use all three on every heading in their life. (laughs) And it's a terrible design decision. Notice no designer ever on the history of the planet on posters and well-designed stuff uses bold, italics, and underline. And (laughs) it's not hype. Wait, that's a bad design decision? I'm confused. I wanna press all three buttons. (laughs) Yeah, so visual havoc for the most of us, and so therefore, it's a vice.
0: Hmm. Oh man, this episode has been more Christmassy than I expected, and Christmas miracles were just kind of popping up everywhere.
1: If we're talking about the technology of the year, hopefully, or the decade, maybe that's what it deserves. So I guess I'll see you, well, I'll see you before we get vaccinated, but hopefully that comes soon.